Father in heaven, we come in Jesus' name and we ask that your Holy Spirit that indwells every believer who has inspired your, the very writings that we've read today would indeed speak to our hearts, speak into our minds, speak into our very souls so that indeed we as the people of God will hear the word of God and will respond to it in faithful obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean when you hear the phrase, he's a wise guy? Does it imply that we're talking about a mobster or a convict? Or does it mean that the guy is smart or maybe shrewd? Or is the guy actually just a big mouth, a know-it-all, a smart aleck? At times, it's hard to tell. But sometimes we can tell by how it is said. And that's important for us to realize. It's not only what we say, but how we say it. Other times... It can be in the context of why it was said. In other words, it may have been in the context of a conversation and the person has this, if you will, always this comeback. There also are occasions of when it is actually said by a person having evil intent. Much like the the proverb was talking about that we read today. Remember there in Proverbs chapter 16? What does the writer of Proverbs say? Beginning in verse 27, he says, A worthless man digs up evil, while his words are like a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. One thing is crystal clear for all of us, and that is this. Our words and the way we use them have powerful consequences, not only for ourselves, but from those who hear them. How powerful do you think they are? Well, listen to what Jesus says to some Pharisees who accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. He says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then he says this, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. And then he gives this warning. But I tell you, 
that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Or how about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, when he's talking about, indeed, sanctifying our speech. He admonishes there in chapter 4, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. And then he goes on, and he says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. And then he puts it in this context. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see, what we say or do not say, and how we go about saying it is particularly important for us as Christians. And with this in mind, who would you consider has the greatest influence, if you will, on our children after the parents? Who would you say? Teachers. Teachers. Yes. Most of us in our thought life would think it would be teachers and we would be right. Teachers today have an awesome task of training future generations and we should be praying for our teachers But these teachers also bear an awesome responsibility in the way that they shape and teach the pliable minds of our young people. These young people who are told that they need to respect, they need to submit, they need to listen, they need to learn from their teachers and their lessons as well as their example. Awesome responsibility for teachers. Are you a teacher today? Are you teaching in one of the schools here in our community or in our college? Maybe you're instructing in, in a different form in business. Or maybe you're a homeschool teacher. We need to know from the book of James that indeed our speech not only sets our course, but it actually impacts the lives who are of those people who are listening 
to us. Beloved, we need to understand the weight of our words and our actions. How about you? Are you a student today? Are you learning in a school setting or at college or in a business setting or maybe even at home? Your study in learning what you are being taught will help you in this way. It'll help to set the course of your life. But it'll also influence the lives of others that you are imparting knowledge to. So what happens when a teacher or a student fails in their roles? The teacher, by erroneous or misleading or misguiding instruction and example, or for the student, through the uh, misrepresentation of what is actually being taught, or the misappropriation of those teachings. There are so many examples before us. All you have to do is look at a magazine or read a newspaper or watch the news and you hear about, indeed, various news reports of teachers violating their trust of their profession to the point of breaking the law. And there are incidents in colleges and in high schools of students violating their moral position while in those institutions. You see, it's not enough, beloved, for us to get things right in the classroom alone, meaning, if you will, by the curriculum we're using and the instructions that we're giving and the training that's going on there. We need to be living out the moral principles that God wants us to be living out in that context. I'm sure that you've heard the expression, your actions are speaking so loudly that I cannot hear what you're saying. We must not only talk, but we must live in a manner worthy of the calling that God has on our lives. I'm drawing from the Pennsylvania Family Institute, and it's an article about a man who was a teacher of sorts. He was actually a coach, a football coach. His name is Joe Kennedy. He was fired from his job in 2015. Why? For exercising his religious freedom and praying after games on the 50-yard line. That's why he was fired. Coach Joe Kennedy would actually kneel at the 50-yard line to pray after each game. And every player 
and other students and parents would join him. And after the ultimatum came for him to stop, he was fired. And the U.S. Court of Appeals of the Ninth Circuit, who just was listening to this court case this week, ruled in favor of the school's decision to fire him. There is a teacher that was taking these principles of not only talking the talk, but walking the walk, and it ended up that he lost his job and lost his court hearing. There is a cost involved to be a teacher today. And if this is true of teachers and students in the public school setting, then how much more crucial when it comes to Christian education in the church? Where the the primary text is the holy word of God. And where the, if you will, the inspired work of the Holy Spirit and the illumination of the Holy Spirit is teaching and guiding and gifting and empowering God's people so that they can know God, live for God, and make Him known in this world. And that's why this verse Verse 1 of chapter 3 is so important for every one of us here because all of us are teaching. Maybe not in a formal setting, maybe not in a classroom, but we are teaching by our words and by our behavior every day. James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You see, James's faith training for teachers, he is saying very emphatically here, must not be disregarded. James makes it amply clear that teachers will be strictly judged by God. Therefore, it's important for each one of us that we make certain not only God's calling, but God's gifting, and that we pray and we consider before we volunteer to teach in church. We must keep this verse in mind. We must understand the weight of judgment that is awaiting people who teach the Word of God. The other thing that we need to realize is that when that particular position is abused, it is in it is condemned 
entirely by God. Just read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And therefore, as we consider our privilege of being able to teach the Word of God, we need to take the admonition that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, where he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We need to take the admonition that Paul also says about his, old, his own life and ministry, where he says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And James reminds us in this context in verse 2, a, ra a reality that we all face. He says, verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. We all have a tendency to get things wrong. We make mistakes. A, a, a dear brother told me that I made a mistake last week in my preaching. And it was wonderful that he had the uh, desire to show, show me where I made my mistake. And I said, just walk around with me a little bit more and you'll see all kinds of mistakes. I'll give you a hint. I was quoting Genesis 3.15 when I should have been quoting Genesis 15.6. Um, but in that, beloved, it's important for us to realize that we do all stumble in many ways. We all get it wrong. And we all make mistakes. And we sin. And we never fully escape sin's influence while we live in this life. In this fallen world. But we must realize the area where we all sin most frequently is by our own careless speech. When our tongues are under divine restraint, it becomes a powerful tool and engenders, if you will, a vibrant, ethical, prudent life and an enduring relationships. But when it is unrestrained, the same tongue demoralizes and destroys relationships by fueling hatred, distrust, and even vile dejection. Have you ever been one who has received such evil, unrestrained speech that was addressed to you? I have. In fact, I think if I look back far enough, I've probably done it. What does that do to be a receiver of such talk? What does it do to the person who has to be hearing 
such a conversation. It can destroy them. It can cripple them emotionally. It can make them become distrustful to people in general because of the power of the misuse of that tongue. Though the tongue is small, it can be used rightly as God intended to build up. Or it can just destroy and tear down just as easily. James says that indeed the tongue sets the course of our lives just as a bit in the mouth of a horse will steer it wherever you want it to go. Or as a rudder on a huge ship out in the, the, the sea that, where the wind is blowing fiercely can be directed by the pilot with such a small turn of the rudder. But James reminds us that no one, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yes, mankind can control large animals and it can even guide and direct a huge ship in the sea. It can even tame wild beasts and birds and reptiles and sea creatures of the earth. But it cannot tame the tongue. No amount of human effort alone can subdue the tongue. And though mankind has, as we have been able to observe through life, uh, retain a measure of dominion over creation, even since the fall, he has indeed, since the fall, lost control of his own self. For he lacks self-control in what he says, what he thinks, and what he does due to the innate problem of sin. And the only way that we can tame this tongue of ours is by God's divine enablement. James says here in verse 6, The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. James is implying here that when the tongue is out of control, it spews out sin-laden flames that are evil and devastating and corrupting. We see evidence of it in the passage that we were reading there in the Gospels in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. 
James likens it to an uncontrolled fire that is setting the course of our life and can consume it if it is left unchecked. Just as the fire can be used properly like in the controlled area of a fireplace, so that same fire left out in an open field on a windy day can cause such destruction. One careless spark starts it. James reminds us it's that which defiles the entire body. It sets on fire the course of our life. It is set on fire by hell. The word hell there in the Greek is Gehenna. It's understood as a place, if you will, of burning refuse. But it is also the symbol of the place of eternal punishment. It is where the devil will be when he's banished forever. Hell. And the immoral use of our tongues pollutes and stains our entire lives. It, it actually will alter, if used habitually, our, our personalities. It'll, dis, it'll disrupt and, and uh, corrupt our reputations. And most, most importantly, it'll put us at enmity with our God. You've heard the expression, I'm sure, talk is cheap. Talk is never cheap. Talk is costly. As Jesus was pointing out to his disciples when he was explaining that parable, it's not what enters into the man that defiles the man. It's what comes out of the man from the heart. That is what defiles the man. How bad can it be? If you're on the receiving end of it, you know how bad it can be. Because it hurts. It hurts deep when you're on the receiving end of someone who is misusing their tongue, their speech toward you. It ruptures. It dissolves relationships. And it'll hurt you a great deal when it is those loving relationships that are hurt that are close to you. Like within your family or among your friends or among your church family here. Most seriously, we need to realize that it hurts the heart of God. Well, how does it manifest itself? Well, James gives us an example of it here in James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth 
come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And then James gives us three analogies from creation. Things that we observe. He says, from a bubbling spring or a brook, um, can, can it come out water that is both fresh and bitter? How about with fruit trees? Can they, can they produce a different type of fruit than what they've been made for? Or can we extract, if you will, fresh water from salt water? Not naturally. You can't do it today. But it is unnatural. How many of us sitting here today have been guilty of sinning with our speech this week? How many of us have been hurt or damaged by the fire, fiery, if you will, poisonous words that have proceeded from someone's mouth. The mouth should be used consistently to praise God and to express love and, and kindness to other men. Finally, James says, as he's, as he's sort of shown us already, that indeed this does affect our behavior, our conduct. And our conduct actually determines how we are living our lives. By what sort of wisdom are we living our lives? Is it godly wisdom or is it the world's wisdom? These two sources are always going to be in conflict with one another. If we're living by godly wisdom, we will embody a proper use of our tongue and the way we behave. We'll be considerate of our, in our hearts. We'll be gentle in our deeds. However, if we are living by worldly wisdom, we'll exemplify those traits as well, which he cites here as bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, sowing, if you will, the disorder and every evil thing. Why is this? Because worldly wisdom source is in this fallen, sinful world. It is earthly. It is natural. It is uh, demonic. In fact, J uh, the Apostle Paul says there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that it actually comes from deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Whereas godly wisdom comes from above. It's first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality or hypocrisy. Its fruit is righteousness, is sown in peace, to make peace. And one of the characteristics that you can see in verses 17 and 18 about this godly wisdom, this wisdom that comes from above, is that it comes from God and it's purity. 
There's peace. And there is the produce of righteousness coming from it. This is the byproduct of righteous fruit in a person who has actually been saved by God's grace. Through the redemption that is purchased for us in Christ Jesus. Whom we have placed our faith alone in. This is the spiritual evidence, if you will, of thankfulness in a believer's heart and mind that has been revived and is at peace with God and therefore at peace with his neighbor. This fruit of righteousness is alive. It's supposed to be spreading just as we are called to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to others so that they might hear what Jesus Christ has done to save sinners. As Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. Beloved, are you a teacher? You must never forget nor ignore that you will be held accountable. You will receive from God a stricter judgment for what you've taught and how you've conducted yourself before your students as an educator. And in the specific, if you will, context of religious instruction, Jesus has this warning in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. If you cause one of these little ones to fall away, to go astray, it'd be better if you hung a heavy millstone around your head and you were tossed into the sea. Are you a talker? (laughs) We all are, aren't we? We must realize the awesome privilege, but the awful power of our speech. That our words actually set the course of our lives. And that we must exercise by the grace of God, self-control in what we say and don't say and how we act. For unruly speech will not only defile us, but it will defile others who hear us. It will pervert our character. It will ruin our reputations. It will put enmity between us and our God because of the corrupt use, or I should say misuse, of our speech. Every idle word that man shall speak, he'll give an account on the day of judgment. We need to hear what David prayed to the Lord in Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch 
over the door of my lips. And yet at the same time, we need to be the people that are obeying the commandment of our Lord who said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll end with this. Taking too much time. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account to himself, of himself, to God. Amen.